0: great I am when he comes again the host of heaven with him he'll bring to earth a kingdom without end
1: Amen. Romans chapter 3 today. Boy, that was fabulous. Appreciate that song. What a powerful message. Amen. Boy, they did so well, too. My goodness, that was wonderful. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read just a couple of verses here. And then we're going to utilize it basically like a springboard to kind of get into some things. But notice what the Bible says here in Romans chapter 3. We're going to note a word that we're going to utilize in the title of the message. It says, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Whoops, I just lost my place. I don't know what I was doing there. I better get back there again. Romans chapter 3. I was actually looking for my puns, but I don't see them here. I must have set them on the table when I came in today. The the singles had some good ones today, by the way. You're missing it now. Sorry. You'll just have to settle for the Bible. (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? Much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, I want to focus on that word advantage. You know, when we think about the word advantage, it's talking about a condition or a circumstance that puts one in a favorable or superior position. And somebody asked the question, well, what advantage then hath the Jew? I mean, what's, what's the point? What's the purpose? I mean, what advantage? Well, how does that help them? Uh, what good is it being a Jew then? Or what profit is there of circumcision? And he said, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. He says, man, I'll tell you one reason, one good reason why they're an advantage, one reason why uh, it's favorable to be or superior to be a Jew in that sense. They were given the oracles of God. They were given the word of God. Man, that's a wonderful privilege. Now, that has nothing to do with the message. But the word advantage is what I want to focus on. My, my thought today is this, the believer's advantage the believer's advantage. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we see this word advantage again. It's only used four times in the Bible, but it says, it can, it says "...lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." The implication is that there's a number of things, and specifically forgiveness. It's talking about that in the verse prior, to about how when we fail to forgive, how it gives Satan an advantage in our lives or over us, a favorable position, a superior place. It says that advantage, that's not a good advantage for him to have. He don't need any advantages. He's got enough already. But advantage, a condition or circumstance that puts one in a favorable position possibly even a superior one. Now, when I went into the Army, I, I, uh, I wanted to build and repair communication equipment. That translated to a radio repairman. <laughs> okay. They always like big titles in the military, you know, make you feel important. I was going to fix radios. That's, and honestly, I, I thought that'd be cool to learn how to fix radios, you know, and I'd be, a, I'd be you know, working on circuitry and I'd be doing all that good stuff. I thought, man, that'd be great. And I could use that when I get out, whether I work on computers or whatever I might do. And in those days, computers were just starting out. And I thought, this would be a good way to start learning how to do all of that, soldering and doing all the things you need to do to fix communication stuff. This will be perfect. It'll get my foot in the door. I got up to the MEP station up in Cleveland. And of course, I'm going through all the tests and everything that they make you go through. And one of the tests was a color blindness test. And uh, in that particular test, they had all these circles or squares, and in the middle of those circles and squares, amongst a bunch of little different colored dots, they said, Tell me what number you see in the middle of that circle. And I said, Well, I think that's a 14. Now, what do you see in that square? And I said, The square. Th- that one? Yeah, that one. I said, uh, is this a trick question? They said, no, what number do you see in the square? And I said, eight? (laughs) And the person said, you don't see anything, do you? And I said, no, nothing. Well, what about this over here, this triangle? What number's in the middle of the triangle? And I said, well, is that an 11, maybe? And they stopped the test. And they said, <clears throat> what color is this? And they pointed to three different colors. And they, they said, that one. I said, that's green. What color's that one? Red. They said, you passed the red-green test, but you're partially colorblind. <laughs> and I thought, well, OK. Well, here's what I found out. That was not to my advantage. Because when I went to get my job, I said, okay, I came up here to be a radio repairman. And they said, well, you're not qualified to be a repairman. You are not in a favorable position to repair radios. And I said, what are you talking about? You can't see colors well enough. And I said, well, I don't want to defuse bombs. I just want to fix radios. They said, I'm sorry, but you, in order to be in a position to do that job, you have to be able to see colors better because you'll be working with multiple shades of colors and you won't be able to do it. I was just like, you kidding me? Now, I want you to know that I did end up repairing those, but it wasn't my job. I did mix a few up, though. So everybody better be glad that I never got on the bomb squad. You say, cut the red one. I'll cut the burgundy. You get what I'm saying? It's not good, okay? But again, I didn't have the advantage of having full ability to see colors. And it ultimately held me back. It hurt me in the end. I am convinced, both by Scripture itself as well as experience in this Christian life in which I've lived, that there is an advantage to being a believer in the world. I'm convinced of that. And so today I want to talk a little bit about the, the the advantage that a believer has. So I want to start to say the believer has an advantage because of, and I'm going to give you four things that I believe the believer has an advantage of in this life and why they have an advantage. And can I say there's nothing wrong with advantage? That's wonderful to have an advantage. Man, I mean, you're going to be in a favorable position. You're going to be even in a superior position as a believer in this life compared to others. And by the way, aren't you glad that everybody can become a believer? Well, let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at those four things. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us now in these next few moments. May our hearts be encouraged. May we be inspired by the word and may we just be, Father, truly just equipped to become better for you. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so the believer has an advantage. Why? Well, because of a new birth. A new birth. You say, well, what do you mean? Listen, uh, although the common consensus is that we're all the children of God, that's simply not the case. In this world in which we live, we like all to believe that we're all the children of God. That's not the case at all. Galatians 3.26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. No faith in Christ Jesus, no child of God. See, we're all the creation of God, but we're not all the children of God. That distinction must be made in the life. And can I tell you, there's an advantage to becoming a child of God. I mean, we all want to believe that God's our Father. But when Jesus addressed the, the Pharisees, a religious sect of the Jews, he identified them as having another father other than God himself. As a matter of fact, he said that their father was the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible says... Jesus speaking, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh the lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. He said, you're of your father, the devil. And someone says, yeah, well, that's a religious sect. And the reason why they're the father of the devil is because they were not receiving and accepting Christ. Exactly. That's my point. Because they had blasphemed God, because they had chosen not to, uh, in, 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 let's see how would I want to say it, receive the truth of who Jesus was, and they fought him tooth and nail, and they rejected him, and they would have nothing to do with him, and they turned others away from him. I know. Exactly. Sounds a lot like the world today. Let me tell you something. According to the Word of God, as sinners, we are already separated from God. He may have created us, but until we've been birthed into His family, He is not our Father. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 3, verse 1. Again, this is a truth that often upsets people, and it ought to upset people. I wish it upset more people, because if we get upset, we might go searching for answers, and we might try to prove the preacher wrong. But if you're proving me wrong from any other source than the Word of God, my friend, you are wrong. Let God be true, but every man a liar. We've got to understand that in the end, we do not stand before a pastor, nor will we give an answer to a husband or a wife or a family member. We will answer to God for what we believe and what we do. And so therefore, if you are taking an opposite viewpoint of this particular issue, please find it scripturally. Do not go somewhere else to prove what I say wrong or what the Bible says wrong. Go to the Bible and find out why. We are all God's children then, at our physical birth. Look at what the Bible says, though, here, which I think, once again, reinforces this truth that if you are not birthed, a new birth, then you are still a child of Satan. Watch this, John 3, verse one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's a physical and a spiritual birth is what he's implying, what he's emphasizing here. He goes on to say, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. There is a birthing process. There's a birth that must take place in order to birth us into the family of God in a sense to to birth us into a place where God himself is our father. We are born into this life, sadly enough, in the flesh. And in the flesh, we are sinners separated from God. And therefore, the devil rules and uh, truly uh, directs our every movement, whether we believe that or not. Someone says, no, I don't let the devil tell me what to do. I don't let God tell me what to do. I do what I want to do. You are falling right into his trap. It's amazing how ignorant we are to his devices. But the fact is, is that until you have been birthed into the family of God, until you have the, experienced the new birth, this birth that he's talking about, being born again, my friend, you're still not part of God's family, and that's a problem. God becomes our father through the new birth. And then we become part of the family of God. Man, I'll tell you what, that is an amazing advantage if you ask me. I mean, what advantage is it to have God as your father and be part of the family of God? Well, John F. Kennedy, our 35th president, was one of the youngest presidents ever. At the age of 43, he was inaugurated. I was looking over a few pictures uh, just a little bit ago, and and, and I noticed, uh, I saw his children, Caroline and John Jr. in the Oval Office amazing. They're over there playing around the Oval Office. As a matter of fact, John Jr., he's under the the desk. He's looking through, and they're taking pictures of him playing under the desk, the resolute desk. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine uh, uh, the, the advantage they had. I mean, they had access to the President of the United States. They had the access to the, 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 the ruler of the free world. They had access to the Oval Office and the White House. They could come and go, so to speak, as they pleased. Daddy was in the office, and therefore, because he was there, they had access to all. What an advantage they had to the White House. What an advantage they had to accessing the President. What an advantage they had. Can I ask you this? What more of an advantage do you and I have as believers who are part of the family of God and God is our Father? Man, we have access to the throne of God. We have access to God who created the universe. We have access to a God that is beyond all others. Man, I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I believe today that the believer has an advantage because of the new birth. Number two, I believe a believer has an advantage in this life because of a new nature. A new nature. Take your Bible, turn over to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. <clears throat> Notice what the Bible says here, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Boy, do we have some, I mean, exceeding great and precious promises found in the word of God. But whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Let, let, Let me say this. You will never find or have access to the divine nature outside of the book. It's these promises that provide that. Okay, just we're clarifying, because the scripture does, "Whereby are given unto a succeeding great and precious promises. You know where those promises lie in this book, the Word of God. This is where you find access to that new divine nature. Watch this. He goes on to say, he says, "Whereby are given unto a succeeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." You now have a divine nature. If, if, if you've been uh, born again, you now have a divine nature. In the Bible, this divine nature is often described or kind of referred to as a new man. It's, it's, it's spoken of as like the new man. Over there in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Ephesians 4, 24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So that divine nature is indeed just that divine. It's literally God in the person of the Holy Spirit living inside you. And you have a divine nature now, where once you had only a nature to sin, now you have a nature to obey God and to do right. You literally have Christ in you, and so do I. Again, every person is born with a sin nature. And when you get to the place of the new birth, then you're given a divine nature. And those natures war within us, and they create conflict from time to time. Turn to Romans chapter 7. We see evidence of that in the life of the Apostle Paul. This verse has been totally misunderstood in so many cases. And sometimes it's been used even to somehow justify sin in our lives. That is not the purpose the Apostle Paul gave us this passage. He gave us this passage to understand the battle that transpires and takes place in the heart of all mankind. But you and I can have victory, according to Romans, over sin. We can have the victory. We do not have to be bound by that old man because we have the divine nature. Notice what the Bible says in Romans. Here's the conflict, though. It's almost that picture of there's a devil on one side of our shoulder and an angel on the other. You know the old picture. One tells me to do wrong, the other says to do right. But that's not really what's really going on. What's going on is there's a divine nature now where once there was only a sin nature. Watch what happens here for the believer. Paul the Apostle says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. What is he saying? He's saying there's only one good thing in me, and it's Jesus. There's nothing else good about me. That's not a very positive preacher. It's just scriptural. I'm telling you, if there's anything good in you, it's Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing in me good. For to will is present with me. I got the right heart, but how to perform that which is good I find not. You see the battle taking place here, the the, the conflict? For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, the Apostle Paul, is not. this is not a testimony of, I go around sinning all the time, and you know what? That's just the life you're going to have to live with. That's not what he's implying. You have to read the rest of the chapter. You've got to read through the rest of the book to understand the implication and the focus of the passage. But my friend, what he is saying is this as a believer. You have a divine nature now because of your new birth, and you also still have that old sin nature that's hanging around, and they are warring one with the other, and there is true conflict in your life, and you want to do right, but you just find it so hard to do it. and at times you fail and thank God there's 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 in the scriptures anybody know 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness it's written to you and I it's written to believers because although we have the divine nature there are times we yield to the flesh it doesn't make it right but it is reality and God makes a provision for us to get it right again. So although the battle rages, you and I as believers are at an advantage. You say, How, what do you mean? We're at an advantage because we are not bound by our sin. We don't have to obey the flesh. We can obey the spirit. We can walk in the new man, put on the new man. We have, can have victory over sin in our life. We're an advantage. The world doesn't have that option. I didn't say they can't be good people in the world's eyes, and yet the Bible says there's none that doeth good, no, not one, because God sees us differently than we see ourselves. Whereas we could do nothing but sin, now having the divine nature, we're able to overcome sin. There's a story told of a young girl who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior, and she applied for membership in a particular local church. In those days at this particular church, they would have a kind of a question-answer period to try to determine and discern as to whether or not you really meant what you said, that you're really born again, not just a profession, that it was a possession of faith. And So she uh, went before this particular group, and they asked, were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? Again, they're just trying to feel out the situation. She said, yes, sir, yes, sir. Well, are you still a sinner? She said, to tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. Then what real change have you experienced? Well, I don't know how to explain it, she said, but except to say this I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. Isn't that good? See, before she got saved, she was a sinner running after sin. Now she's running from sin. Can I tell you that's a direct result of the divine nature in her? Where once she found herself only drawn to sin and running toward it, now she finds herself saying, no, no, no. I want to please the master. I believe that the believer today has an advantage because of the new birth. I believe they have an advantage because of a new nature. I believe uh, as believers we have an advantage because of a new of a new life a new life Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 please 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we read, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Sir Edwin Landseer was one of the most famous painters of the Victorian era. His talent was developed very early on in his life. Uh, he had his first showing of a particular work at the Royal Academy when he was just 13 years of age. He was commissioned to do a number of official portraits of the royal family. As a matter of fact, um, he was given private drawing lessons to Queen Victoria and to Prince Albert. But he was best known for his depictions of just natural settings, things like the Scottish Highlands and the landscapes and things. One day, he was visiting a family in an old mansion in Scotland and one of the servants had spilled a pitcher of soda water and left a, a huge stain on the wall, it just, I don't know how it got there, but it kind of tipped over and poured down the side of the wall. While the family was out for the day, Landseer remained behind. He didn't go out. He stayed there. And using charcoal, he incorporated the stain into a beautiful drawing. When the family returned, they found a picture of a waterfall surrounded by trees and animals. He had used his skill to, to make something beautiful out of what had been an unsightly mess. Can I tell you that God works the same way in our lives? The master takes the tainted canvas of our lives prior to coming to Jesus Christ and he ultimately creates a masterpiece. He changes our life. What it was looking like and what it was is no longer. The Lord Jesus does that in your life and mine. Spurgeon said it was the beginning of life to me when I saw Jesus dying in my place. Man, your life, my life is totally different. It's been transformed and changed because of what Christ has done for us on Calvary. As a believer, you have an advantage. Your life will never be the same for having met the Master. This new life provides us with order, with peace, with purpose, and with provision. And it is all made possible by literally the God of all creation He provides us all those things. When we come to Jesus Christ, the Bible says again, as we mentioned in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. It's a new creation. It's something completely different and new and and fresh. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Man, some of that old stuff hangs on to us. It's kind of like old barnacles on a ship. And we've got to go to God and confess sin in our life, yes, and we have to clean up the mess from time to time that ultimately takes place after we've been saved. But my friend, he did a life-changing work in you. And may I say that your life will never be the same because sin doesn't have the grip that it had or the hold that it had on you. You now are free to serve the master. A new life. You say, well, my life hasn't changed much. I'm just going to say this. Whose fault is that? I mean, is the Word of God true or isn't it? Sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves as well. Sometimes we have to accept responsibility for our failures. It's not always God's fault. As a matter of fact, it never really is. And all I want you to understand is that your life should be different now that you're a child of God. If indeed the biggest, most powerful Force in the world and the universe has moved inside of you that ought to change your life. And that change of life is not just in a sense that I feel God in me, but it literally transforms how I live and how I act and what I think and what I do. It's a new life now. What was important probably isn't as important. Although there are things that will continue to be important, but can I tell you, your priorities will change when Christ takes residency. Things that are valuable to you will change. Man, life is different now. There's other reasons to live than what there used to be. The things that we thought were important, the things that we thought were valuable, the things that we thought were so important essential may no longer be the case now with Christ in us. And yet there are some things obviously that he says are important that ought to be important whether you're saved or lost. A new life. A new life. See, the believer has an advantage, I believe, because of that new birth, because of that new nature, because of a new life. And finally because of a new future we have an advantage because of a new future turn if you would to John chapter 3 verse 16 John chapter 3 verse 16 we're gonna look at verse 16 through 18 what a powerful passage this is we we do often quote verse 16 but I believe as you read through man chapter 3 is just amazing um, Powerful, even those first four or five verses there. Six verses. Chapter 3. Notice what it says in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But hold on. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Isn't that wonderful? He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now notice what's taking place here. There is a new future that you ultimately possess as a result of the new birth. As a result of a new nature. As a result even of this new life. I mean, notice again, he he loves us, yes, and he promises us eternal life if we, we, we place our trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we believe in him. But God sent not his son into the world to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved, because he that believeth on him is not condemned. See, you were condemned. Notice he says, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You don't have to do anything wrong when you are born to be condemned. You were born a sinner. You're already in condemnation. You're already at odds with God. You're already, as the Bible says, at enmity with God. You and I are already distanced from Him, even as Adam and Eve, when they sinned, were removed from the garden and from the very presence of God. My friend, everybody that's born is born separated from God in condemnation. It's not enough that they're just separated. They don't just go to the abyss. They don't just go, so to speak, into darkness or into the grave. No, they'll be eternally separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire because of sin. Condemn nation they've been condemned to death and that death is eternal separation from god what a sad sad picture that is what a horrible commentary and yet it is the reality of scripture however a child of god is at an advantage (laughs) what an advantage because he that believeth on him is not condemned you have a, no, a totally new future now, where once you had no hope of everlasting life, instead it would be everlasting death separated from God. Now you have a new future. No condemnation. From the very moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, new future. New future. I don't know about you, but that's surely nice. Going through life knowing that I'm gonna have, I've got that one settled. That's an advantage that you have. You don't have to lay awake at night and wonder where you'll spend eternity. You don't have to be concerned that you're going to burn forever in a place called the lake of fire. You can be confident and you can be sure that heaven's your home and God is going to be with you and you'll be with him forever. That's wonderful. In John chapter 5 verse 24, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Man, there is a passing that takes place. In, at one point before we met the Master, we were facing eternal death. <laughs> we passed from death unto life. What an advantage. As believers, we are at such an advantage having experienced the new birth having a new nature, enjoying the blessings of a new life and having the hope of a new future. What an advantage that is. Can I say today that God is anxious to provide that advantage for every single human being. There's not a person in this world that he doesn't want to come to him and experience those advantages. It wasn't that long ago, we had our youth rally, and I still remember... Uh, standing up on stage before everybody got here, and I was, you know, practicing my putting. They had a putting green up here, and uh, it was part of the games that they were going to play. And wh- how it worked was, you could stand all the way back, you could putt it for sure, and of course, I was always hitting it and making it. And it wasn't much of a challenge, but anyway, <laughs> the truth is, you, for the, the game, if you answered certain questions, or you we're able to get the prices right because it was the price of right. You got the prices right. Every time you got something right, you got an advantage. You got to scoot up a little bit closer to the hole. Oh, what, what's the price of that? Oh, you got that one right and this one right and this one right. That means you get you don't start at the beginning. You get to come all the way up here and then putt and make the putt. See, you got an advantage and you know what's amazing? The teenagers, I watched a number of them practice, and the, many of them could not hit or drop or sink the putt from the, where it started. They couldn't do it. It was everywhere. I couldn't believe it. But hold on. The ones who got an advantage and got to scoot up, they sunk it. They won. Can I tell you? There's not a human being on this planet that doesn't need the advantage that the master brings in their life. If you want to truly win at life, you really want to be successful, my friend, you need Christ in your life today. You need the advantages of that only he can bring you. I am not going to compromise what I believe. I'm not going to compromise what the Bible teaches. My friend, you can worship whomever you choose, but there is no God like him. He is the only God. And if you'll put your faith in him, his son, Jesus Christ, you will never regret it. Pursue whatever you choose in life. But my friend, if you want an advantage and you truly want to get closer to the whole and be successful in life, you need the advantage of Christ. And ultimately, you can make all the putts you want in life. But remember, there's another life that awaits you. You want the advantage of not being condemned. Man, what an advantage the believer has today. All because of the Lord Jesus Christ. All because of God. The advantage of the new birth. A new nature. A new life. A new future. wonder, do you know Christ is your Savior today? I mean, do you have that settled? I mean, is there a time, a place that you can go back to and say, I know without a doubt I've trusted Christ. I visited a man in the hospital this week, and I'm thanking the Lord the hospitals are opening up finally. It's wonderful. I was there three times this week. It was great. I still remember sitting in that room with this man. He doesn't attend our church, his child does from one of our buses. And I asked that man, I said, Let me ask you something. God forbid something would happen to you. I said, Do you know for sure if you'd, where you'd spend eternity? Do you know heaven would be your home? And he looked right in my eye and he said, yes, I do. And I said, really? Man, that's wonderful. He said, I was about 16 years of age and I trusted Christ as my Savior. He could go back to time. And he said, I've been reading my Bible more than ever now. I I, I know I need to get back in church. He says, my job's been keeping me out. He really understands that he wants to get closer to the Lord. He wants to do some things right. He's allowed some things in his life to separate him from that. We've all been there, right? But he knew he had it settled. He could point to a time. He knew that he had received and accepted Christ. Let me ask you, can you do that? If I asked you that same question, would you be as confident? You should be. You need to be. God wants that for you. Maybe you're a child of God today, and well, maybe sin's been... Breaking you over the coals maybe when I was on vacation I played a little bit of tennis I wish I could say I was better at it than I used to be but I'm getting worse <laughs> when my son-in-law and a pregnant woman can beat me and my wife that's a problem <laughs> especially when her back's hurting Maybe you feel like that tennis ball, just getting pelted back and forth. Every time you start to feel like you're flying, you get knocked back down again. Let me tell you something. You might be a child of God. I hope and pray you already are. And if you are, that's (laughs) unfortunately, like Paul said, it, it can be a rough ride. But you have an advantage. Don't forget about your advantage. Don't don't forget that he still cares that he loves you and that he's there for you. Go to him. Go to your heavenly father. See, you've experienced that new birth. You have that new nature. And, And you have a new life now. And it all centers around him. It's all about him. Go to him. And allow him to comfort you and strengthen you and help you. the believer's advantage. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for all you've done for us, Lord. It's it's just a blessing to know that you are on our side. I know that, Lord, sometimes things don't turn out the way we want, but we have you. The world doesn't. We have you. What an advantage that is. And for the believer today, may we, Father, if we're sin in our life that we need to address and deal with, may we do that, thanking you that we have access to you and can find your forgiveness. Lord, maybe there's someone here today without Jesus Christ as their Savior, and, and, and they need you as their Lord. They need you to redeem them, to save them from their sin. They need you to rescue them from the condemnation of sin. I pray that they will trust Jesus Christ today and experience the new birth firsthand, And that they too will receive the divine nature. they too can have a new life and have the hope of a new future. Father, we need you today. We just ask you do your perfect work in our lives. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.